You are listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on June 12, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. And all God's people said, praise the Lord for that. Good to see you once again. Please take your Bibles this morning and go to Matthew chapter 16. Last week, we looked into the life of one of the apostles, and that being Peter. We saw that instance where Peter was in the boat when the storms came about, and he asked Jesus, he said, if it's you, bid me to come to you. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking. But then he started looking at his circumstances, didn't he? He started looking at the waves, he's paying attention to the wind, all those things that were happening around him, and he got his eyes off the Lord, and yeah, he began to sink there in the water. We're going to look at another instance of Jesus and his disciples this morning, and Peter will once again come to the forefront, but I want to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. This is a very familiar passage, I know, but it has to do with growing together. You know, and understanding what the church is, his church, his plan, and his glory. So as we go through this, and we'll start breaking it down, we're going to begin in verse 13. Follow along with me if you would. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some that you are John the Baptist, some say Elias, and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my father which is in heaven. Now pay attention here. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we thank you for the time together. We thank you, Lord, for just a season of worship, Lord, where prayerfully our hearts and minds have been focused on you, Lord, that we see you clearly. And now, Father, we pray that we will hear you clearly as your spirit speaks through your word this morning. Lord, we're grateful for this assembly, and I pray that together, Lord, that we can just honor you you for what is due you. And Lord, help us to grasp your truth. Help us to apply your truth. Take that with us, Lord, that wherever we might be, Lord, we would be your light. We would be your salt, Lord, that we would be your witness as you have called us to be. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a statement here, and I hope that um, it doesn't offend you at all because a couple of the words are being used. But the statement is this. The culture's revolution has precipitated the church's evolution. Now follow with me again. The culture's revolution has precipitated the church's evolution. I think we can see that we have experienced a a cultural shift in so many things. Those things that maybe we grew up on, in particular our parents grew up on, Those dynamics have seemed to shift. Those reference points are almost no longer existent in our culture, in our society today. 
And as a result, what we're seeing the church, the church has to make a choice. The church can either shift its methodology. We can never shift our message, all right? The Word of God is eternally sealed. We're not going to shift that. We can't change that. The Word of God is forever, amen? And no, it's not going anywhere. However, as a church, we have a choice. Because of this cultural shift, because of this dynamic that is taking place today within our society, we can either hold on to what we always did or we can understand that we've got to change some things if we expect to connect the message of the gospel with the generation that is in existence today. And to do that, I think we need to grasp hold of what the church is, once again, that's why we're looking into this text, and then we're going to examine, well, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be in reference to our culture, our society today? So let's kind of break down our reading this morning and, and allow the Word of God to kind of speak for itself. Now, what we might call the question for the ages is found there in verse 13. <clears throat> Jesus asked his disciples, who are men saying that I am? Who are people out there that are talking about me? Who, are they, who, who do they say that I am? And of course, some said, well, you're the John Baptist. You come back from the dead. Others say you're one of the prophets or maybe a teacher or something like that. And so we, we need to understand that with that question Jesus asked, in a lot of ways, that's how people see Jesus today. When you mention Jesus, all right? You might go up to somebody at school, somebody at work, somebody on the street, somebody at the grocery store and say, hey, who is Jesus? And you'll get one of these answers such as this. Now, they may not say Elijah, John the Baptist, or something like that. But what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, I guess he was a teacher. Um, he was this rabbi in Israel. Um, he was a religious leader. He started a movement. You know, we're going to get all kinds of answers because the generation today does not have the reference point that you and I grew up with. Okay? They do not have that. So how are we going to communicate the message to a generation that has no reference point to that. How do we do that? And that's what we've got to ask ourselves as far as that question goes. Because matter of fact, Jesus directed that question. Now he turns it to the disciples in particular. He asked them, who are people who are outside people? Who are all those out there? Who are they saying that I am? But now Jesus turns his attention to his disciples and say, but who do you say that I am? Okay, so he's kind of, the rubber's starting to meet the road here a little bit. So again, we have to ask, how would you today answer that question? Now, most likely we're going to say, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Hey, that's great. That's a great answer. That's what the Bible teaches, amen? Christ is the Son of God. Matter of fact, we can go one better than that. Not only is he the Son of God, he's God the Son. All right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word could have been God. So, thank you very much. I appreciate you people speaking out. Okay? You got to keep up with this stuff, okay? So, that you are, that Jesus is the Son of God. And here's the point that I make because of that, because you might say, well, Pastor, that's a stupid question. Why would you ask us that question? I've been saved for 20 years. I've been saved for 30 years. I've been saved for 92 years. 
whatever. I mean, you've been saved for a long time, okay? Why are you asking that question? Here's why I ask it. Because our view of Jesus is part and parcel to our walk. How we see Jesus, who we see Jesus to be, determines how we walk, how we live in this world. Do we understand that today? It all, it all goes back. You can give that answer. You can say Jesus is the Son of God. You can say that Jesus is God. But unless you get it from here to here, your life's not going to be any different. Because it's from what's in here that we see that our life is indeed different. Now, let's continue to move down in our, in our um, passage here. So Peter makes a statement there in verse 16. When he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let's break that verse down for just a moment. He said, you are the Christ. That is in Greek in all Christos and all which is actually the Greek of the Hebrew Messiah. Messiah meaning the anointed one. You are the anointed. You are the ones that the prophets spoke about. You are the one that was to come. You are the one, and they looked at, that was going to set us free from our Roman overlords. You are the anointed one. All right? So Peter got it right on that. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. The word son, you might notice, is capitalized there. The S is referring to the fact that he is united in affectionate intimacy. With his father. You remember when Jesus said, I and my father are one? Man, he was charged for blasphemy for that, wasn't he? You're equating yourself with God. That is blasphemy. We need to crucify you. But Jesus, just speaking the truth, I and my father are one. We're one and the same, you see. And folks, do we see Christ as that? Is that who we see Jesus as? Do we see him indeed as not only the Son of God, but God the Son? And then he says, the living God meaning that there is none other. You know, Jesus, his ministry, the disciples' ministry is a time when in the Roman Empire, they had a literal plethora of gods. They had a God for everything you'd imagine. They had a God for the sun. They had a God for the moon. They had a God for water. They had a God for earth. They had a God for everything you can imagine, okay? The only problem was those gods were an invention of their imagination, okay? They did not exist, and Peter here is saying, no, you're the son of the living God. You're the son of the only one God, you see. His confession, his great confession on that. But when I think of that, don't we have, when we spoke in Sunday school this morning, don't we have gods today in our culture? We have gods today, don't we? We have gods of materialism. We have gods of possession. We have gods of wealth. We have gods of personality. We have gods of health, you know, where, you know, in a lot of ways, and, and understand, understand this, you know, we see people getting absolutely bananas when it comes to their bodies, their exercise, their everything. Man, I mean, they, they, they go through these regimens and everything. They keep all that, that up and everything because, you know what, I think in a lot of ways they worship their body. You know, the healthier I am, the longer I'm going to live. They don't know the scriptures because the Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die. Okay? Don't make any difference how healthy you are. Matter of fact, I don't know if you all remember a guy years ago by the name of Jim Fix. And all he was, one, he was a champion world distance runner. And I, think, I mean, he set a lot of records and all that stuff. He was healthy, man, no body fat, anything like that. And I think he was in his 40s or 50s when he died. 
So why did that happen? You see? See what I'm talking about here? We worship many, many gods. But let me tell you the most deadly god that we worship. Okay? I want everybody to take a finger. Take a finger, right? I want you to do this. There's the most deadly god we worship. Self. We worship self. We will fight tooth and nail for what we want, how we want it, how we prefer it to be, don't we? That's how we are. We've been taught that. We've been raised in a culture where it's all about you. You know, Jesus taught us about others, isn't it? Consider others better than yourself. But what does our culture teach? Hey, you deserve a break today. It's all about you. You ought to have this. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. And so that's how the generation was raised. That's how we see that, you see. And so we want everything like we want it, including oftentimes in the church today. We want it like we want it. You're the son of the living God. There is no other. Now look at Jesus' revelation. Notice what he said. Look at verse 18. And I say also unto you, you're Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't mean to offend anybody today, depending on your background or where you're from or such as like that. But there's a church today and all that takes the Scripture and believes that the church was built and founded upon Peter. Okay? He was the foundation. He became basically the first pope, all right, of the Roman church. And they base it on Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. But what fails to happen here is they don't go back to the languages that the Bible is written in. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So let's take that verse. First of all, verse 18. Jesus said, you're Peter. The word Peter there is the word Petros, which means a piece of a stone. I want you to consider a piece of gravel for just a moment, okay? That's what Jesus was talking about. Okay, basically, Peter, you're a piece of gravel. You're a stone here, all right? Petros, a piece of a rock. And then he goes on to say, but upon this rock, and that word rock is the word Petra, which means a foundation stone, like a cliff or a ledge or something. So do you see the difference here? Oh, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're a small stone. But upon what you said, Upon this rock, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, notice he said, I will build your church. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> Somebody got me corrected here, okay? I will build my church. Why can Jesus call it his church? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, in order for him to be possessive like that, he would have had to pay a price, amen? Amen. And the Bible tells us he does pay the price. Paul tells us we have been bought with a price. What is that price? The precious blood of Christ. He shed his blood. He purchased our redemption with his blood. That's why it is his church. Matter of fact, let me tell you something here. That's why we are his. When we sit back and say, this is my life. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I want. Wait a minute. Have you checked with God on that first? Because the last time I checked, I do not have the right to come to your home in your garage, remove your mower, and use it for my purposes. You know why? It's not mine. But you know what I see in Scripture? That every one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ have been bought with a price. And we are not our own. 
We are his to use for his honor and glory. I'll build my church. And then he says, the gate, the gates of hell, which gates and are always defensive, okay? Gates are to keep the enemy out, all right? We understand that? I remember when uh, we were in Haiti, and it was a time where there's a lot of civil unrest there. I think the government had collapsed. Uh, the UN was there as kind of a peacekeeping force. But uh, there are a lot of areas just not safe. And all. As a matter of fact, the missionary that we stayed with and all had a compound. That's what he called it. And all it had high concrete walls. The top of those walls were studded with bits of glass, metal, stuff like that. And the gates were steel. They weren't wooden gates. Okay, they weren't anything, they were solid steel. The reason being and everything, because those gates were protection against those that would come in and raid that place. You see what I'm talking about? Gates are defensive. And so Jesus is saying here that the gates of hell will not hold back the forward message of the gospel, the work of the church, the going forward of the purpose of Christ. It's not going to hold it back. In other words, anything that Satan throws at us, we have the capacity through God to keep moving forward, you see. And that, keep moving forward, the church has a mission and the power to accomplish that mission until removed at the rapture. Do you understand the rapture is the next prophetic event to take place? Y'all get that? You know, nothing else is going to happen until that takes place. That's why the Bible tells us, listen, be looking. Look at the signs that are out there, you see. Let's pay attention to those things. Now, so we understand that the church is founded upon Christ. Y'all get that this morning? I want to make sure that you get that. The church is founded upon Christ. He's the very foundation. He's the one who shed his blood for you and I, for his church. All right? So we get a hold of that. So I want to give you some things, and I'm going to split this message up because and everything, what, what I want to give you is about two hours apiece, so I know you're not going to sit here for that long, so we're going to do part now, and we'll do part next week, okay? Okay, so follow along with me. What kind of church, Shenandoah Valley, do you want to be? Don't tell me what kind of church you were. Tell me what kind of church you want to be. That's what I want you to think about in lieu of what we said. First of all, we should, be, we should desire to be a great commission church. What am I talking about when I say the Great Commission? I'm talking about we should always be gospel-centered in everything that we do. The message of the gospel is what man needs today, okay? We can deal with all other kinds of things. We can do, deal with marriage. We can do, deal with finances. We can deal with child rearing. We can deal with all those other subjects that are being covered today in churches, and that's fine and dandy. But unless we understand that the gospel has to be the main message, we're not a Great Commission Church. Because Jesus, when he said, go into all the world, what did he say? He said, and proclaim the what? Gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaim the gospel. We need to be a disciple-making church, connecting the gospel with the culture. And I know what a lot of people think and all, and especially maybe in some of the larger churches that have multiple staff, they say, well, you know what? That's why we have you pastors here. You know, we're paying you to do that job. But correct me if I'm wrong, in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, who was he speaking to, folks? Come on, somebody tell me. He's talking to you, wasn't he? He's talking to you and he's talking to me. He wasn't just talking to the pastors and deacons. He was talking to every one of us that we ought to be disciple makers. We ought to be sharing our faith with others. 
And we ought to be walking them through that journey of faith. You know, I heard a pastor say one time that if people come to church and listen to me Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, they'll get all the discipleship they need. And you know what? That worked 50 years ago. That worked 50 years ago. But that's not going to work today. Years ago, and you all have participated in it, I'm sure. We're going to have a revival meeting, right? We're going to have a revival. We're going to have ex-evangelists in here, man. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to pass out this. We're going to pass out that. And you know what? We'd fill this place up. You'd fill it up. People would come. Try to do that today. See how many people would come. Matter of fact, for the most part, about half of you wouldn't come. I'm just being honest. You see. You understand where I'm coming? We're going to be disciple makers. That's taking an interest in people that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with. To help them through that journey, that season of faith. A gospel-centered church, a disciple-making church, also a faithful church. Faithful in our lifestyle, faithful in the call, and faithful in the purpose. Folks, listen. I want us to grasp, I want us to understand today that the purpose of the church is not your preference. You understand that? It's not your preference. The purpose of the church is to carry out God's will as he has laid it down in his word. He's told us to go, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, baptize. He's told us that you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. He's laid it out for us. Now it's up to us to be obedient, amen? And I understand, I understand, yeah, this church has a wonderful history. But we can't live on what was. We have to live on what is and what can be based on the Word of God. A great commission church. Secondly, our desire should be to be a growing church. Well, who wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't want that? Wouldn't it be great next week and everything to come to church and have this crowd doubled? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be neat to see this crowd double. But you got to remember growth is different ways. Growth is different things. And all, one of the ways that we ought to desire growth is to mature in our faith, to grow in our faith. And, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong and everything, but maturity and growth and everything, there's some pain that is involved with that in there. Can you all go back to the time when you were growing in your adolescence? You know, you remember that? Man, I remember growing up and everything. My ankles used to hurt. And I think, man, why are my ankles hurt? Mom would say, growing pains. Or my shoulders would start to hurt. And I think, man, why, why are my shoulders aching? You know, 11, 12 years old, why is this going on? You know, growing pains, the thing. Growing pain. I remember our oldest son, he had gotten about, I don't know, what was it, Deb? Right around 12, 11 or 12, and everything. And his voice was starting to crack. You remember that? You ever go through that? He'd be talking to you and say, hey, mom and dad, I got from dad. I mean, everything was just changed. You know, we heard him back in his room one time and everything. He was singing. Oh, he was just going along and all of a sudden, and then he got back to normal. You know, his voice was cracking. It was, it was getting deeper, you know, as he was maturing. There's some pain that goes along with that. I think the biggest pain and everything is we have to be willing to give of ourselves to give of our time on behalf of others. On behalf of others. A maturing church. A relationship building church. This ought to be a close body. 
This ought to be a body that can fellowship, that everybody is, is seen as the same. If there's no ones or tens or anything in here and everything, we're all children of God. And we seek to build relationships. And not just coming to church Sunday morning and shaking hands, you know, when the preacher says so. But I'm talking about building build a relationship together, maybe going out with dinner with each other. You know, maybe doing a ministry together and everything. Just some things that we build, build those times and everything. And then when new people come in, man, that we make sure that they're included. That they're included in the walk that we have. And then a faithful generation. A faithful generation. A faithful generation that desires to do well. And a faithful generation that will realize that we're not going to be around forever. And we need to be passing the baton. We need to be training others to come up and carry on things. We see that in the Bible, don't we? I mean, remember Moses and Joshua? Okay? Moses knew that his time was going to be up soon and all, and he spent time training Joshua, and Joshua carried on the, the, the mission, didn't he? Across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Jesus and his disciples, what do you think he was doing? He was discipling them. He was training them to carry on the work. That when he's gone, the work will continue. Even Paul had Timothy and Titus to carry on. That once he was gone, there's those he could pass the baton to. And the work would continue. You know, if you stop and think about it, every one of us, somebody somewhere passed a baton onto us, didn't they? Somebody passed a baton onto us. Because most likely that person that passed the baton on to us is no longer around. You see. That's how we do that, folks. That's all about being interested in one another. That's about grasping what the mission of the church is. You know. Are we going to be a Sunday morning church and that's it? Because here's the thing like that. I understand. We meet Sunday morning. We're supposed to meet on Sunday morning, right? Not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We come the first day of the week and honor the Lord's resurrection. I get all that stuff. But look, that's the gathering. And what we do here is not the work of the church. The work of the church is done outside the walls. You take your light. You take your witness. And you take it with you wherever you go. You take it to work with you. You take it to school with you. You take it to the grocery store with you. You take it with you. That's the work of the church. And you seek those opportunities to hand out a track, to share the gospel, whatever it may be, you see. That's the work of the church. I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, it's probably a little slower than it was probably a little slower than it was. But it's nonetheless, we have to keep focused on the purpose. We have to keep focused on the purpose if we're going to be that New Testament church. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please.